Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, if you're new here, I'm also new. My name is Sam Taff. I'm one of the new pastors here on staff. And uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to get the opportunity to meet you after the service. Uh, typically, at this time in the service, what we do is we take time to read Scripture uh, together and hear it and study it together. And we do that for a lot of reasons. Uh, two, two in particular, are if, if you're here this morning and you're new to Christianity or you're just exploring or reacquainting yourself with Christianity, there is no better way to do that than to read God's Word. And on the, on the same token, if, if you're a believer and, and you're wanting to grow in your faith and in your walk with Jesus, you, you can't do so apart from God's Word. And, and so uh, wherever you're coming from this morning, we're really glad that you're here. What we've been doing this summer uh, during this time is looking at the life of Abraham. Uh, even if you're not super familiar with the Bible or Christianity, it's likely you've heard Abraham's name. He's mentioned and he's a key figure in three world religions. Uh, if you read through the Bible, he's mentioned hundreds of times, 69 times alone in the New Testament. Uh, and in the passage uh, that Jennifer read for us earlier, he's referred to as the father of all those who believe, or some translations say the father of the faithful. And, and so it's not great to acquaint ourselves merely just so we can understand who he is when he's referred to in the Bible. But it's also important that we know who Abraham is and how God relates to him because God sets a pattern in his relationship with Abraham with how he relates to all of those who come to him by faith. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. We're going to look at Genesis 17 where, where we get a clear example of one of the ways God relates to him and one of the ways God relates to his people. It's a pattern you see all throughout scripture, uh, especially in 2 Timothy 2. We'll read that from later, but you see this theme and this pattern emerge in how God relates to his people. And that is that God shows his faithfulness to God's people even when and, and often especially when we are faithless. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And we're going to look in this passage and see this morning how God not only meets Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham in this passage, uh, not only meets him with his faithfulness, but also transforms Abraham's weak faith in the midst of that. Uh, just to give you an idea of where we are in the book of Genesis, if you haven't been here, or even if you were here last week, uh, we looked at Genesis 15 last week, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, and he lays out all these animals, and then God himself goes through and makes this covenant. Um, it's an amazing scene. He promises Abraham a, a son, his very own son. He promises him land, and he kind of gives the borders of that land. And then probably not even a few weeks, less than two months after that, Abram and his wife get a little bit impatient. Uh, they want a son. And you'll see that passage printed from chapter 16 in your, your bulletin. But Sarah says, look, God's promised us a son, but, but he hasn't opened up my womb. And at this point, she's in her 80s. Uh, Abram's 86. This is not like normally what's going to happen. And so what do they do? They kind of just take plans in their own hands and they have a child. And we'll get into this later, but that does not go well at all. From that time in chapter 16 to the beginning of 17, where we're going to pick up, is 13 years. 13 years have passed, and we don't know all that's gone on in those 13 years, but there's no recorded conversation. And so that's where we pick up in Genesis 17. I'm going to start reading for us in verse 1. So Genesis 17, starting in verse 1, 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, she shall not, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Going down to verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is such an amazing passage. Lord, it's also long, and there are parts of it that might sound strange or foreign to us. Lord, we pray this morning that you would take your truth and plant it deep into our hearts that we might behold wondrous things in your word. Lord, we ask that you would do this by your grace, through your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you have experienced buyer's remorse before. You get something and then you wish that you hadn't gotten that. And maybe that's happened in a relationship. Maybe you've hired someone uh, to do something or maybe you voted for someone. Uh, Or maybe you asked someone just to do a favor and uh, later, maybe soon later, you uh, regret doing that. And if you read the Old Testament and you read Life of Abraham, uh, it's hard to read the Old Testament 
and especially Abraham's life, and not wonder at some point, wow, God could have chosen anyone to bless the nations through. And he chose this guy. And then as you read the rest of the Old Testament through people like Moses and David and just reading the accounts of the Israelites in the wilderness and in exile, uh, you might wonder to yourself, gosh, th- this is really, this is not who I would have chosen. Uh, they make tons of mistakes. Uh, they bring tons of guilt on themselves. Uh, the passage we're reading, as I mentioned earlier, follows a chapter where Abram and his wife uh, have decided to take things into their own hands. Verse 2 in chapter 16 is pretty clear who Abraham's listening to. He's not listening to God's voice. Uh, he's listening to Sarai's voice. Uh, and in listening to that, th- th- they are downplaying God's promise to give them a son, their own son. And instead, they, they want to produce something on their own. But, but that's not the first time Abram messes up. It's not the first time he doubts God's promises. If you, if you go back to verse chapter 12, right after God meets Abram, right after he calls him, uh, at the second half of chapter 12, there's a famine. And so Abram and Sarai go down to Egypt. And we're not, we're not told much about Sarai other than that she is exceedingly beautiful. To the point that when Abraham, Abram and Sarai went down to Egypt, he knew when the kings of this land meet her, they are going to want to have her. Which means if they know that I'm her husband, they're going to kill me. So in Genesis 12, Abram kind of hatches this plan like, hey, you know what? Tell them you're my sister. Then they can have you and sleep with you, but I'll live. Who's Abraham looking out for in that scenario? He is looking out for himself. Genesis 16, if you read the whole chapter, all sorts of mistrust brews. There's resentment. Abraham ends up sleeping with Sarah's maidservant in order to produce a child. Even though it's Sarah's idea, immediately after that happens, she begins resenting Hagar and kicks Hagar out of the house. There's tension. They have a child, Ishmael. And then for 13 years, we hear nothing. For 13 years, every day, Abram would be reminded of his weakness. He'd be reminded of of him and Sarai's inability to get the very thing they want. They'd be reminded that they still don't have the very person or the land that God has promised them. And if you put yourself in Abram's shoes, I mean, what would you begin to think? Probably lots of things. I've really messed this up. I've messed up before, but this time I've probably, maybe we're beyond the point of no return. Maybe God's moved on. Maybe he's chosen someone else to bless in order that they might be a blessing to the nations. 13 years we hear nothing. Chapter 17, verse 1, God shows up. And isn't it amazing? He could have used all manner of titles. There's all different sorts of titles given to God in the Old Testament. And what does he use when he shows up to Abram, who's weak, probably feeling hopeless, he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. He's dealing with someone and it says Abraham immediately fell on his face. He couldn't bear to see it. Abram's very aware of his sin. He's very aware of God's holiness and righteousness. 
It's a movie that came out in 2005. It's one of my favorite movies. It's called Cinderella Man. It's about uh, a 1930s heavyweight boxer named James Braddock, and it takes place during the Depression. Uh, they're in New York City, I believe, and like a lot of families in the city during the Depression, it was really hard for them to make ends meet. And he returns home from work one day, and two of his kids are outside playing, and they say, Jay stole something. Their older brother had stolen a huge thing of salami from the butcher shop. Not sure how he thought he was going to get away with that, but uh, his mom found it. And she said, he came home, he stole this thing, and, and I can't get a word out of him. He hasn't looked at me. He hasn't spoken all day. The kid can't even look at his mom. He can't look at his dad. He's so aware of his guilt. During a time where people couldn't get by, he stole, and he can't even bring himself to raise his head. You, you've been there before. It may not, you may not have been caught as publicly as, as James Braddock's son, but you've had moments where you know you've really messed up. Maybe you got caught and someone confronted you about it. Maybe you saw firsthand how much you hurt someone. Or maybe no one knows. Maybe you just know. Maybe something's eating away at you and you know something's wrong. You know there's something you need to bring to the Lord in prayer and yet it's so hard. And everything inside of you just wants to lay low and hide. I can imagine this is where Abraham is in this passage. And it's in those moments we're really tempted to believe God would want nothing to do with me. Like, I don't even want anything to do with me. Why would anyone, much less a holy God, want anything to do with me? And this is when God shows up and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And then the next verses, he just goes on to reinforce and give a little bit more detail to all the promises he's given to Abraham. Verse 4, I want to make my covenant with you. He's told Abraham he's going to be the father of nations. Now he's telling he's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. He's told him he's going to give him a land here in, chapter, in, in verses 4 through 8. He tells him where that land's going to be. I'm going to give you Canaan for an everlasting possession. And not only that, he's going to be Abraham's God. I will be their God. Not just your God, but the God of your offspring. It's why all of this is so over the top. All the promises that we've read so far in the life of Abraham have been pretty over the top. For a guy who wasn't pursuing God, uh, for the guy who messes up his family pretty royally, uh, these are really over the top promises. But especially after 13 years of silence and guilt, this is crazy. It's why in verse 17, Abraham laughs. It's not a joyful laugh. It's, it's a doubting laugh. Like, Lord... I'll be a hundred when you say this child's come. Uh, not only that, I already have a son. I'm guilty. There can be times when we are tempted to believe God could not love, or at least wouldn't want to love us. Uh, it's easy to think, especially if you've been a Christian, I should know better. Like, hey, I know, I know, I know Abram did this, but he's just a primitive guy. And he would make those sorts of mistakes. At this point, Abram's known God for 25 years. Uh, spoken to God. 
It's, it's easy to think that God would want to have nothing to do with me when we slip, slip up. And yet, this is who God shows up for, not just here, but all throughout Scripture. What does Jesus say in Mark 2? I haven't come for those who don't need a physician, but I've come for the sick. I haven't come for the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. Paul really gets at this throughout his letters. And if you read his letters chronologically, you'll see he even gets this more progressively as his life goes on. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He's getting at the same thing that Abram is, is seeing right now in this passage. God is God and there is no one like him. And I am unworthy. I'm unworthy to be in his presence. I'm unworthy to receive his promises. Why is he giving me all these assurances? It makes Abram laugh. And look, this passage is not prescribing, you know, verse 2 of chapter 17 is not prescribing how the Christian life ought to be lived all the time. It's not a life where we're just constantly at our feet, at God's feet, in awe and in our shame. But I do think it is worth asking ourselves, even though we are not Abraham, is it possible that some of the boredom you're experiencing in the Christian life might be due to the fact that we have been so busy that we haven't even taken the time to acknowledge how we might have sinned against God or sinned against other people. Your boredom in, in this life might be due to the fact that, that we've just filled our lives with so much business that, that we have not taken time to be still and to actually take stock of our hearts, much less ask someone how or if we have wounded them. Or you might be on the other end of the spectrum. It might be that, you might be sitting here this morning, you probably have, some of you may not struggle at all to see your sin. In fact, maybe it's your sin only that you can see. And for you, the struggle is not to believe, wow, uh, God probably should like me because I'm such a great person. Your struggle is to believe, how on earth could God ever like me? Why would God ever like me? Much less pursue me. 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul proclaims the same truth we see in this passage. God remains faithful even when we are faithless. Or as we'll sing uh, in a couple minutes, our sins are many, but his mercy is more. This is who God shows his faithfulness to. We're going to look as well this morning at how does he show that faithfulness. Uh, and then lastly, we're going to look at what does that faithfulness produce in us. How does he show that faithfulness? Uh, he shows that faithfulness to Abram, not just by telling Abram, I will be your God, though he does do that. He doesn't just show his faithfulness to Abram by saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you, though he does say that and he does do that. But he actually gives him a sign of his covenant. And the sign of that covenant you see described in verses 9 through 14 is circumcision. Every male from eight days older and above will be circumcised. Everyone who's in that community. That's the sign he gives him. One of my favorite privileges as a pastor is doing weddings. And, you know, usually in the weddings, after the vows are made, after bride and groom pledge their love for one another, regardless of circumstances, 
And we ask, is, is there a token of these vows? Is there a token of this covenant? Uh, and yes, is hopefully the answer. Uh, it's usually an unbroken circle, an unbroken ring to remind husband and wife of their unbroken love for one another, of the vows they have made to give all of themselves to each other in sickness and in health, plenty and want, joy and sorrow. The wedding ring is a sign of their faithfulness. It's a sign of their vows. They declare and make things and then a symbol is given so that when you see someone with a wedding ring, you know that is someone who has made a commitment to someone and that is someone who has received a commitment from someone else. God doesn't just tell Abraham, I will be faithful to you. I will covenant with you. He gives him a sign. And it's a sign of his faithfulness and of his grace. And if you're reading this passage, you might be thinking, when I think of God's faithfulness and grace and a sign that would accompany it, circumcision is not the first thing that comes to mind. How is this bloody procedure on the male reproductive organ, a sign of God's faithfulness and a sign of his God's grace. Think about this. What's the promise God has given to Abram? He's promised him he'd be the father of many. He has no children. He's promised him he's going to give him land. And he's promised that he will be their God, not just Abraham's children's God, but their children and their children's children. It'll be an everlasting covenant. And so by giving this sign where they are making a bloody rite on this organ, what God is reminding them is that it is impossible for you to create a child, much less a future generation, much less a multitude of nations without seeing and being reminded that God is a God who keeps his promises. It would be impossible to produce a child without actually seeing, without having something tangible to remind you that God is the God who kept his promises way back when, when he appeared to Abram, a man who was 99 without a child and kept his promises. It was a visible, tangible reminder of God's goodness. It wasn't a new sign. Other cultures in the ancient Near East did this. Lots of Canaanites did it. The Philistines didn't. But here it's different. It's not a sign, as in those cultures, that they did it as a sign of entering manhood or maturity. Here it's a sign that you belong to God. You and your community are pledging yourselves to the God who has pledged himself to you. We'll get to this in a moment, but in the New Testament, we're given a new sign, the sign of baptism. But the reason we include, historically, in this denomination, the reason we include children in that is because it's patterned after the sacrament, the rite of circumcision, in which not only were Abraham's children, but everyone in his community, even foreigners who were brought in, participated in that. That may not be your tradition. If you have questions about that, we'd love to answer them. Um, but here's the deal. God has been giving signs to his people throughout the generations, not because God needed them. He didn't. But Abraham needed a sign. He needed a tangible reminder. We need reminders. Uh, it's the reason God has given us baptism. Uh, no longer do we shed blood as a sign of membership in the covenant community, but God has given us baptism. Hebrews 9, 12, the author says this, describing Jesus, 
He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. If you read the book of Hebrews, it's pretty clear. Because of Jesus' blood shed, there's no more need for sacrifice. There's no more need for circumcision. That is no longer the sign. But the New Testament is clear to draw a a connection between circumcision and baptism. Paul does this in Colossians 2, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So when we apply baptism to a believer and their children, we are declaring And many of you have been declared too that there is a God who though you are weak and stained with sin, we have a God who delights in washing away that sin. Who not only can, but does wash away that sin. And so if you've been baptized, you may not even remember it, but your baptism is a big deal. God also gives us another sacrament, Lord's Supper. We need these tangible reminders each week, each month, each year. That's why it's so great to watch a baptism. We are reminded not only of what a beautiful thing is taking place before us, but what that thing signifies. We have a Savior who's given his body and his blood for you. And he's washed your sin away. A number of years ago, I had a student who had a horrible relationship with his dad and uh, never received any encouragement. He, he could not remember a time where his dad was ever pleased with him. And he had, an, he had a summer internship one year, and it went well. And uh, when I was talking with him, this is a year and a half or two years later, he was applying for a job and asked his former employer for a recommendation letter. And he gave him one. And it brought tears to his eyes because... He'd never had a father figure like that tell him, not only did you do well, but but I think you're really gifted. Uh, And I really enjoyed working with you. And I see a lot of potential in you. He kept that thing close, whether it was a digital copy or a paper copy. It was a tangible reminder to him that regardless of how I feel, how successful I feel, Here is someone objectively telling me what is true, what's actually more true than I'm currently experiencing or feeling. God has given us baptism. He gave Abram circumcision as a purifying, cleansing mark of what he wants to do in and through you and is committed to doing in and through you. So, so, so how do we respond to this? Uh, what's the fruit that God wants to see in us as a result of his faithfulness? Uh, he wants us to trust him. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. He commands Abram to be circumcised, to circumcise all the men in his family and in their community and from every generation. He wants us to follow him and obey him We cannot do that if we do not trust him. Because here's here's the problem we're going to run into. 
Uh, if you read this chapter again, you'll notice in verse 14, there's the, there's the covenant sign of, of what it signifies. It signifies that God is going to cleanse us, that he's going to purify us. But there's also a, blessed, there's also a covenant curse that goes along with it. If you look at verse 14, the, the implication is this. And it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word play in the Hebrew where he basically says, cut, you either will cut in circumcision or you will be cut off. The command is, is to obey God, to, to participate in this or to be cut off. And Abram will obey God. He will follow him, but Abram will also continue to make mistakes. He will continue to sin. He will not be sinless. And, and, and you've experienced that. You, you read this chapter and you think, man, this is good news. This is a pretty strange chapter, but there's a lot of good news in this chapter. Um, but ultimately, you know the demands placed before you are really, really hard if not impossible. And you have to wonder, after reading verse 14, how do I, how will I know I, can't, I won't be cut off? How can I trust that I will not be cut off? And we have an even greater resource, an even greater sign of God's faithfulness than Abram was given, though Abram received a pretty incredible sign of God's faithfulness. Jesus himself took on flesh and was bloodied on the cross for us. He was cast off. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He shed his blood that you and I might be brought in. And what Paul says in Galatians is that trusting in that goodness is what it means to be a son and daughter of Abraham. You'll know you will not be cut off, not when you've done really well, or accomplish some big things, but when you realize I am without hope save in the sovereign mercy and goodness of Jesus and you are casting your hope upon him. God wants you to trust him. He wants us to walk before him and be blameless. Verse one, walk before me. To walk before God and to be blameless. It's not, the blameless is not a word that means sinless, but a word that kind of refers to wholehearted devotion. God is, is, comes to Abraham in his weakest and says, I want you to walk before me and be blameless. I want you to be wholly devoted to me. I, I want you to live all of your life before me in response to my goodness and in gratitude to my goodness. And he's calling us to do the same thing. How do we do that? We can do it because we know God has given us himself. The God who's asking us to give all of ourselves to him is the same God that walked through the animal parts to pledge himself to us so that we can approach this demand not out of fear, but actually with hope and security. At the end of that scene in Cinderella Man, James Braddock walks out of the butcher shop with his son. They've returned the salami and they begin talking and it becomes clear that the son is afraid. He's, he's heard of some of his other friends that have, gotten to, that have had to go to other states to stay with extended family because there's not enough food to go around the table. And he knows in their house right now, there's not enough food to go around the table. And he knows that if someone's going to get sent off, it's probably going to be him. He's the guilty one. And James Braddock hears that and he looks at his son and he says... We don't steal, ever. Give me your word. 
The son says, I promise. And Braddock says, and I promise you that we will never send you away. We don't get the rest of that kid's life. We don't know if he kept his promise that he'll never, ever steal again. But we know that if he does not steal, if he keeps his end of the bargain, it will not be out of fear that he'll be cast off. But it'll be because he knows his father's faithfulness to him and his father's promise to him. God is inviting you and me to bring all of our lives under his lordship. It's easy to bring part of our lives. He wants all of us. And that is an intimidating ask for people like you and me. But we can do so with hope because we have a God who has pledged himself to you and me. Will it be easy? No. I mean, look at Abram. Right after God makes all these promises to him, immediately Abraham's like, God, this is verse 17. This will be crazy. Like, I already have a son. Like, we have a plan that would require much less faith from me. And it wouldn't require like a huge miracle from you. Like, let's do it this way. This could be easier. Uh, Also, he's old. This is going to be a really hard journey for Abram. He's weak. He's already shown that he has weak faith. It's not easy. It's not easy for Abram. Abram's aware there's a gap between who he is and who God is calling him to be. And when we hear this call, you know this morning there is a gap between who God wants you to be, who God has called you to be, and who you currently are and how you currently act. And it can be discouraging in those moments to think, I cannot do this. And that actually is true. You on your own cannot do this, but you have a God who's pledged himself to you. And you even see him answering Abram's doubts in this passage. Abram doubts with a laugh in verse 17. Like, I'm going to be 100 years old. My wife will be 90. This is crazy. He's laughing. It's not a good laugh. It's not a jolly laugh or a joyful, hopeful laugh. It's not. And how does God respond to his doubting laughter? Verse 22, he gives him a son. What's his son's name? Isaac. Literally means he laughs. God responds to Abraham's weak Doubting laughter with a child. who is a sign. He laughs, pointing to God's joy in his children. God comes to us in Christ, a weak and sinful people in need of deliverance, and he gives us his son, Jesus. Literally, the Lord saves. We have a God who makes promises. We have a God who keeps his promises. Therefore, we can bring ourselves to him. We can bring all of our lives to him because he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, Lord, your word is good. It reminds us of who you are. Lord, your word also exposes us. Lord, if we are honest and we read 17 verse 1 and the call to be blameless and to walk before you. Lord, if we heed Jesus' words to be holy as he is holy, 
Lord, some of us want to crawl and hide and not walk anywhere near you. But Lord, we thank you that you have not only called us to do this, but Lord, you have shown us your faithfulness. And it's not just a faithfulness that's an example, but it's a life-changing, heart-changing faithfulness. And so Lord, I pray that you would meet us in our doubts, meet us where we're tempted to write off your promises and to fill us with the hope of the gospel that we might bring all of ourselves to you. We pray this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.